decarbonize it. I'm trying to stress test the forest in there. Carbonize it. If I eat the right thing, will my stomach brew kombucha? Carbonize it. Welcome to episode 11 of the Energy Sesh podcast. And we uh, have a stellar episode for you today. A nice uh, eclectic episode. I guess a lot of our episodes are eclectic. We are going to try to do a little news roundtable. And then we have a special guest who I want to introduce first. That is our, our special guest is Steve. Steve, welcome to the uh, pod here. No, Steve. Steve, man, come on. Steve is the prototypical cool American male. How's it going, everyone? And thanks for having me. Steve is a, uh, I'd like to liken him to, he's a regional bootlegger of kombucha. Kombucha. Uh, is that a fair description? Regional bootlegger? I'd say it's close enough. I'm trying to go super regional, but for now, regional's fine. Mm. Assistant to the regional manager. Same thing. No, it's not. It's lower. So it's close. Sam, it's great to uh, talk with you again. Um, I actually wanted to start with- um, Good to see you too, Josh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see you as well. I've been a couple of weeks since our last episode. I did want to ask you, since we were on with Birdbrain, uh, I saw you picked up some additional flavors. Curious how those are going. Oh, it's going great. I've been mixing in the original Birdbrain, sour apple, berry lemonade, just throwing them into my normal routine. And got to say, it's working out, working out nicely, feeling like that, I'm getting that extra 10% I was looking for. All right. That's good. Good to hear. Uh, so wanted to do a little news roundtable just because I feel like we've had a lot of guests on. We've talked about a lot of things. And again, Steve, we invite you to kind of jump in here. Um, as you may have heard from previous episodes, I'm a chem guy, so I'm more into the chemicals. Sam's more into the natural energy. He also is, you're you're the quant guy. I'm the science guy. That's sort of what we've decided on I our think roles. so. You're also the business guy. You're the D to C guy. The D to C. And I'm the... I'm the, the B to B guy, I guess. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I wanted to start with, first of all, uh, Gatorade Bolt. Now I'll tell you why this came up to me. Ha Sam, have you had Gatorade Bolt or, or Steve, have you had Gatorade Bolt? Have you seen it, heard it, had it? I, I would answer no to all those questions. I have not, but I'm, I'm curious. What is it? So I was uh, trying this Gatorade Bolt stuff and it's basically like meant to be, you know, you've got body armor and these higher end hydration drinks, right? And so Gatorade all of a sudden launches this drink. It's in a, like a black bottle. It's a little bit smaller and it looks like it's just a body armor, like knockoff. It's meant to be like a higher end sports drink. So I buy it and I'm like, this tastes like garbage. Like this is gross and terrible. And I'm like kind of baffled and I figure out oh, it's probably just like natural, you know, Sam, like natural stuff just doesn't taste good. Yeah. Taste of nature. Yeah. No, nature's not what, in, you know, nature intended. So, uh, so then I start looking at it and I realized that very subtly it's caffeinated. It has 75 milligrams of caffeine. So it's basically some kind of strange natural Gatorade with caffeine in it. And it tastes terrible. And it's like the the geniuses. You, you haven't explained how it's natural. Aside from tasting bad, that's the only thing that you're you're pointing to to say it's natural. And I, I feel like that's well. Hold on, you you don't understand. That was the M Night Shyamalan like plot twist. There was that I thought it tasted bad because it was natural. It actually tasted bad because it had seventy five milligrams of like very poorly uh, covered caffeine. So it's it's called Bolt Twenty Four. It's all day hydration. It says hydration with electrolytes, right? And they try to get you with that. But hidden 
within this hydration. Wait, so what was like, the M Night Shyamalan twist <laughs> that that it, that it was that it had caffeine in it? Because it has caffeine in it, and it just looks like they have this little like button that says includes caffeine. It's like ba- basically hidden. Wait, but energy. what? Why did you like? Were you? Did it make you feel better or worse to find out it had caffeine in it? Um, I was very insulted as a consumer because I felt like viewed it totally differently had I known it was really an energy drink in disguise. And I was sort of bothered that like they try to hide that from me on the label, like just call it out, be proud, you know? Yeah. Just like at the end of the village when you're like, wait a minute, this is modern times. That's very, very similar. Lots of M. Night Shyamalan references here. Wasn't the lady in the water a mermaid? Is that the ending of that one? I didn't see that one. I forget Lady in the Water, what that ended up being. Um, it's a good question, but it was definitely one of the worst ones. All right. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Monster Ultra Watermelon. So you saw, uh, I never gave you one, but um, Monster Ultra for, Watermelon. For, for the record, Steve, just want to let you know what type of guy my brother is. He bought two Monster Watermelons, sent me a picture. It was like, check it out, Monster Watermelons. One for, one's for you. And I was like, oh, thanks, Josh. It's so thoughtful. Like, I'm excited to try this beverage. And then he just drinks both of them himself. I, th- I thought we would see each other. Is that the M. Night Shyamalan twist that you're trying to That might have been, been the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> twist. I thought we would see each other sooner. But yeah, that, that pretty much depicts me. It, we, I saw you like two days later. That was two days too many. So anyhow, the Monster Ultra Roller, Watermelon, very solid. Green lid. Green re- lid really makes it work, so... Wait, so the green lid helps like because you're looking at it as you're drinking it and it makes you think more of watermelons? The green lid is like very, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a locator. It's like a little beacon of light. Like if you ever thought you maybe lose your can or something, you know, you like see it's like shining up. So, but uh, I thought it was very good. It's a welcome addition to the Ultron. It is um, similar to Ultra Paradise, Unleash the Power of Apples. It is very unleashed the power of watermelon. They're really pushing the watermelon flavor. So you got to really be prepared. It's a lot of watermelon. So you got to sign on. for that. They, they deliver on the, the promise that the can provides. That they do. I be- mean, you, you, you know, it's serious because it's called ultra watermelon. They didn't try to call it, you know, ultra whatever green and pink. I will say, though, when I bought it at Wawa, the guy at the register talked to me for at least three minutes about how, how good it is. And how excited he was when he saw the truck come in. So wow, that was you okay. know I'm not the only one. It was kind of reassuring to uh, hear him. I did not mention that we have maybe the world's uh, most popular uh, energy drink podcast because you know I didn't want him to get nervous. I just wanted an authentic review. So did you actually look at the can and did it say watermelon as one of the actual ingredients? Because I wonder if it's a, a natural flavor or they've somehow fabricated it in a lab. Oh, Steve. I'm, I'm, Steve, I'm so naive. I'm hoping that it's heavily fabric- fabricated. Josh's Jackson's intro concerned. about how he, he tasted something that be, he, because it was terrible, he just assumed there was something natural in it. So, so I'd be lying to you if I told you that I ever read the actual ingredient section. I do look at the nutritional content sometimes, but I mean, with Monster, you kind of know what you're getting. It has the elusive natural flavors. So could one of those be watermelon? Unknown. It's, you know, custom blend. Natural flavors is like the greatest like ingredient drop like there is because you just like, why wouldn't you just write watermelon unless it's like, I don't know. It's it's just like in such small concentration. But yeah, natural flavors is in there. But if they just put one drop of watermelon, could they have then claimed that there's some watermelon in it? 
it's interesting that they don't have any sort of FDA obligation because they don't even write like watermelon flavored. The only thing they write is contain. Oh, it contains no fruit juice. Is that a pretty good sign? It's not actual watermelon. I guess watermelon is part water and part melon. So maybe they got some of the water and it doesn't count. Science guy strikes again. Of <laughs> <laughs> our podcast is actually being used in some uh, <laughs> in some school districts in place of like chemistry class and bio. Last time we talked about, about the powerhouse of the cell, mito- mitochondria. That Ooh. was a good discussion, mitochondria. It came up last just organically, much like organic chemistry. This is a up. very uh, educational show. Um, but anyhow, yeah, it's it's a nice looking it's a nice looking can. It actually looks very like Christmassy. It's got like the green and the the reddish pink or whatever. So it's very good. Um, I was just surprised they wouldn't put the little seeds on there to let you know that it's watermelon. Like really, all right. Get well, you technically, the it has like the textured label, so you could argue that the seeds are there symbolically or something like that. Um, it has like fireworks and stuff on it. But to your point, yeah, they could have done. It could seed. be one of those seedless watermelons too. I mean, Sam, like, I know that for you, if an energy drink looked more like an actual fruit, that might appeal to you. But, you know, us chem guys, like, if it starts to look anything like a real fruit, like, I don't need to see that, you know, keep it in the the color schemes, right? In the mystery. Like, I think it probably, they probably debated a lot what to call the flavor. And it probably took a lot of strength to say watermelon, because they they probably wanted to use some, you know, like, Ultra Paradise is basically just Ultra Apple, but they wrote Paradise. So maybe they were going to write, like, I don't know, ultra whatever watermelon is associated with picnic. Picnics. Yeah, ultra, picnics. Pic- ultra picnic. That was probably a thought. All right. I want to bring up a couple of other things. So there's a couple new flavors. Bang key lime pie. We got to try it. I haven't bought it yet. I'm going to buy it soon. I'm a real sucker for key lime pie. I really like it in the yogurt space. I oh, yeah. Like strong yogurt. Um, I'm not sure in the energy space, but we'll find out. I got to say, probably about 10 years ago, I was at a power lunch and we were getting dessert. And like, you know, they give you a little dessert menu and it was like, you know, chocolate cake, vanilla ice cream. And then there was a key lime pie option and I didn't get the key lime pie. And then my my coworker got it. And just the whole time or just from then on, I was just like, next time, every time I get a key lime pie option, you always got to take it because you just never know. It's not too often, but when you get it, you don't you don't turn it down. I think Steve's got something profound to say about key lime pie. He like perked forward, he took himself off mute. I'm waiting for him to just drop some knowledge about key lime pie on us. You know, I've I've never liked key lime pie, but I'm actually <laughs> really curious to hear what a a chemical version of of key lime pie would taste like. It to me, it may taste better than the natural thing, and so I'm really curious to see what the ingredients say in this because. If the ingredients actually said key lime pie in it, <laughs> I would be worried. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, I think a question that a lot of people have, key lime pie, scurvy, if you have scurvy, like we know lime is good for scurvy, but key lime pie with that, if you had the scurvy, you're on the uh, the ship there, would key lime pie help you? If These it had three, limes you know? in it, probably. <laughs> it actual Does lime. key lime pie actually have limes in it or is it, I, I like, I don't thing? even. Yes, they can't, the real key lime pie does enough lime to cure scurvy though that's the question that's well that's a good question we don't know we don't know so the a lot of that but steve i just want to say i appreciate you bringing some confrontation to this podcast i feel like sometimes we agree too much so i'm glad to hear that you hate key lime pie and think that we're both idiots for liking it i appreciate that 
Of course. I mean, as a kombucha lover, I deal with a lot of hate. So, oh, um, all right. Yeah. I can't wait. To, I'm excited to, to get talk. to our kombucha discussion. Yeah. We're almost there, Steve. We just got a few more topics. Most of these will probably get cut anyway. So, I recently ordered from the website for G Fuel because I got an advertisement for it. Are you familiar with G Fuel? Because they claim to be the official energy drink of esports, but their main thing is energy drinks in powder form like in like the, the tubs, like you get like pre-workout stuff in. And I feel like that's a thing we're totally missing out on is this tub format that seems to be big in the esports world. I can't picture doing it. You're going to get the powder all over your keyboard. Like who knows how you get that out. It gets all sticky and they show it like a lot of times like right next to the keyboard. So like, I'm like, I almost want to watch somebody like an esport person, like consume this stuff. Cause it looks dangerous just from a, your setup. I, I mean, I totally agree. That's what I would be concerned about. And I think in addition to being chem guys, we're also lazy guys. And I just can't imagine being like, all right, time to get my beverage. Let me like take this little scooper and scoop it in and shake it up. Like, that just seems like a whole yeah. step we don't need. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know where factories get their water, like when they make beverages, but like, I feel like my water never stands up. It's got like too much mineral in it or something like that. But like I never, you mix like the, the pre-mixed drinks and it's just never the same as I think it's right pre-mixed out of the can. I always feel like my water, it's got too much maybe nickel in it. Steve, are, are you tapped into the esports world? Do you know about these powdered energy drinks? I do remember that when I was a kid, Gatorade was something that you would buy in powder form and, and you would make it yourself. Um, and I almost kind of wonder if, if they're going after the esports world, then perhaps it's just a way of trying to convince some famous esports athletes to do a little celebratory, hey, put the powder in the cup and stir it celebration um, when they kind of, you know, Kind of like LeBron coming out and throwing up the, the chalk when he does his little intro. Almost like a celebratory little gesture. Hey, you know, just yeah. crushed you in this game. And you know what? I'm just going to pour a little powder in my drink, start around, have a little sip, you know, because I'm the best. Steve, you honestly just blew my mind because now I realize these guys probably have these big because the Gatorade, you put it in the big jugs. They probably mm. have these big jugs. And really the what maybe they're going after is it's that single serving thing, right? Mm. Like can't just have this like one energy drink you don't want a pile of cans or whatever so you just have your your gatorade jug of energy drink just ready on tap that might be the, the strategy yeah and that means for all these like esports teams that means they've got a uh, you know a bunch of freshmen that are you know effectively going and creating all the mix and putting all the the coolers out for everyone it wouldn't surprise me they have whole teams of people just to keep those athletes hydrated and caffeinated yeah you know we really gotta get some more gamers on this we, it's been a while since we had uh, a gamer a serious gamer on that you do need like a real yeah a real gamer i know you consider yourself a gamer and have this whole horrible bit about it that you usually share <laughs> that's a pretty Thank bad you. bit yeah i like to think of myself as a gamer even though i don't play games anymore all right so steve first of all i guess we before we launch into your your uh, regional bootleg expertise i'm curious your attitude you know you're a man of beverage right you have certain clearly passions for beverage what are your thoughts since we were, we're on an energy drink podcast? What are your, what's your take on energy drinks, uh, generally caffeine, coffee, whatever? Like, what is your attitude towards the space? Sure. I would say I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty natural guy when it comes to kind of what I put into my body. So for the most part, I try to live a life where I selectively use caffeine in certain situations to kind of help, help push me to achieve something that perhaps I'm too tired to do um, or something that I think I need my full attention in order to be able to achieve it. So for the most part, I, I try to keep pretty low on, on caffeine. 
you know, drink, drink water, drink uh, kombucha, drink, you know, LaCroix, things like that. But I mean, there's definitely times when, when I need caffeine. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big runner. I do a bunch of ultra running. And there's a lot of times when you've been running for hours and you're just like, I, I need a boost. My main use case for kind of grabbing one of those, you know, energy drinks, five hour energy, anything like that, I'm driving. It's late. I'm about to pass out. I don't want to die. You know what? I'm going to go to a, a local shop or something on the highway and I'm going to get one of those things and I'm going to get through that drive. I, I notice the effects pretty, pretty strongly because my baseline is, is pretty low. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it fits in my life. I was just saying, you, you know, it's great having you on your real, real fresh perspective on the show. Sometimes I worry me and Josh are too similar, even though I try to build myself as the all natural guy, but I like how you're, <laughs> you're, you know, me, but, but like kind of legit, like I'm, I'm, I'm mostly talk. So. Well, I noticed when you were talking about all this naturalness, Sam was like looking into the camera, like this little twinkle in his eye. Kind of, I know he, you know, I can't really tell on Zoom who's staring at you, but he's kind of like giving me a look like, yeah, look, Steve's also a, a natural. Well, I was actually natural. watching you grimace when, when Steve <laughs> when was like, like, I'm careful about what I put in my body. And I saw you like visually grimace, like, Ugh. <laughs> gonna, you know, I'm going to leave it after this, but I just have to ask you, Steve, I mean, it's a cruel world out there, right? There's pollution, there's gases, there's like 5G, all sorts of stuff hitting you, right? There's all sorts of craziness out there. Don't you feel like you got to like just hit your body with a little bit, you know, energy drinks, little chemicals, just because it's a cruel world. I mean, if to your point, if you don't expose yourself to it, it's just like these energy drinks, like it's going to hit you a lot harder, all these this cruel world out there. Yeah, the uh, I think it's, there's a word for it in environmental science. It's the um, intermediate disturbance. I can't remember if it's a hypothesis or if it's a rule, but the idea is that um, a natural system, like, like a forest, for example, um, it does relatively well when it's pretty calm, but every once in a while, it needs to be shaken up. Like it needs a windstorm to come through and knock all the wheat branches off, or it needs a flood to just kind of, you know, kill off some of the, the weeds and things like that. So yeah, I, th I actually think it has been proven in nature that shaking, shaking up the norm and doing something a little different is, is safe as long as it's not, you know, cr to the absolute extreme where you're pretty much putting yourself in a place where you're going to be causing permanent damage. Oh, very, very interesting perspective there. And Josh, put that in your back pocket. Now you got some more more support for your crazy theories. Look up that hypothesis and just drop yeah. next next conversation. I'm just gonna. Drop, I can't drop tell you how many there. times we're talking about stuff and Josh just randomly alludes to chaos theory as if it's some sort of proof of whatever he's trying <laughs> to explain to me. <laughs> so this is just another notch in his tool belt of of random theories to point to that to argue his his various viewpoints. You know, Jurassic Park really affected me, Doctor uh, Malcolm, whatever his name was. You know, that was that was significant the uh that that guy who called it he knew it was knew it was gonna happen with the dinosaurs that's so. you now you now you're jeff goldblum from jurassic park <laughs> i can only hope that i could be jeff goldblum for from jurassic park uh that would be quite would be quite an honor i wish i knew his name i do not know his name it's dr malcolm something malcolm malcolm gladwell <laughs> i don't know all right so steve let's talk wait before we get started can i just point out that i got a kombucha drink just for this segment oh that's a good flavor yeah, so I got it. I'm, I really hope there's no caffeine because it's 11 o'clock at night, but I felt like I wanted to get in the mood and this seemed like a relaxing kombucha. So there is there any caffeine in kombucha generally or kombucha? Sam is going to make me say it wrong for the entire episode. So there is. And it gets into like, well, what is kombucha? Kombucha is ultimately like fermented tea, usually um, green tea. Uh, at times black tea. So in effect, you're, you're drinking tea that has 
been advanced and changed from, from what it is. So there probably is just as much caffeine in that as a cup of tea, um, which means Even you if could it's use chamomile, a chamomile cannot actually be used for kombucha. Any of the teas that have a bunch of additives in them, spices, things won't actually work when you brew kombucha. You need to have pure black or green tea. Otherwise, all those extra additives can actually kill the cultures that make the kombucha in the first place. So I gotta be honest, up until this point of the episode, I was basically like, man, we're an energy drink podcast. We're having this podcast about kombucha. I feel like people drink kombucha before they go to bed. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have any caffeine in it. I was like, oh, it's fermented tea. But of course, tea is caffeinated. And why would the fermentation process take away the caffeine? So probably generally, just like you have a low level of alcohol, you also have a low level of uh, caffeine. So, so it, it is an energy drink, I guess, is what we've concluded. That was actually going to be my yeah. main question to you, Steve, is do you consider kombucha an energy drink? For the level of energy that I'm looking to get on a kind of, let's just say, not extreme late night driving case, but you know, I, it's the afternoon, maybe I ate a big lunch, I got to get some work done. I do. I will actually drink kombucha. All and right. I, I will notice that for the next couple of hours, I'm... I'm more awake than I normally would be. I don't have to take that afternoon nap in some, on some days. Excellent. It's good to know that our choice of topic and, and guest turned out to be a good one for the show. Yeah. Is it safe to say kombucha, the original natural Red Bull vodka? Is that, that a fair characterization? <laughs> they don't taste all that different, actually. Kombucha has actually been brewed by humans or fermented by humans for about 12,000 years. In fact, humans were, were fermenting drinks. Uh, back then, mostly milk and water, before humans knew how to do things with metal. So fermentation and, and creating drinks like kombucha has been around much, much longer. Although strangely enough with kombucha, because the process of making it is so variable, it actually hasn't been able to be repeatedly commercially produced until the past kind of 20, 20 odd years. So it is, even though it's a drink that's been around for a while, it's taken so long for us to manufacture it in a way that didn't necessarily make it dangerous and that the ingredients on the bottle are actually what's in the bottle. And there's been a couple of kind of hiccups along the way. In fact, as early as 10 years ago, they noticed that the amount of alcohol that was being actually stored in the bottles they were selling at Whole Foods was way higher than advertised and was actually causing issues. They've only really kind of perfected it even in the past 10 years to the point where you can actually go into a grocery store, buy it and drink it. And if you were to measure the amount of alcohol in it, it would actually reflect what the label says. Kind of newer, wow. it's a newer area of, of a- What is the naturally occurring level of alcohol? Or is that like highly variable depending on how you brew it? Is there like a range? Commercially, they target about 0.5% alcohol. Generally, the, the way that it works with the fermentation process is there's two steps of it, but ultimately the first step, which is just the, the main fermentation, how long they do that, determines ultimately how much alcohol goes into it. I mean, the, the basic gist of it is you got water, you got tea, you, got, you have sugar, and then you have this kind of bacteria yeast. It's almost like a hockey puck if you look at it in real life. And the longer that that hockey puck is, is kind of sitting in there um, eating the sugar, the more that it actually converts and produces alcohol. So if you were to, let's say, brew, you know, I home brew at home, so if I were to, you know, brew for about, you know, seven to 10 days, the kombucha that I would get out would actually still be quite sweet. And it really wouldn't be all that alcoholic. But 
if I were to let that thing go for three to four weeks, I would taste the same thing. It would taste much more tart and quite a bit more alcoholic, almost vinegary to the taste or the smell. What they've done in the commercial process is they've, they've effectively optimized the, the initial fermentation such that when it hits the point where it hits about 0.5% alcohol, that's when they pretty much stop it. But if they were to continue that, or if the conditions in the lab were such that the bacterial activity was faster than normal, like increasing the temperature, let's say, then you might get more. Generally, you'll find that most of them are, are advertised at 0.5% or even negligible, like the one that Sam is looking at now. I would actually still bet there's a little bit of alcohol in there, but they try to get away with, with saying that there's none by, by kind of going below the limit. And you may also be aware that some of the brands are actually selling the same flavor, but a kind of non-quote-unquote alcohol version and an actual alcoholic version which is closer to kind of one, maybe one and a half percent that you do need an ID to buy. So they're getting creative with it. They're actually finding that niche between people that really, really don't want any alcohol in it, people that want a little bit of alcohol in it. And then now there's actual, you know, brewing companies that are making hard kombucha. Like, yeah, we want a 5% alcoholic kombucha. Mm -hmm. um, I would guess though, that's probably not pure kombucha, probably mixed with some other type of beer or cider or something along those lines. But there's a whole spectrum of alcohol levels that, you know, you can generally find between you know, zero and 5%. So, so the, the bottle I have, it does say non-alcoholic, like a little footnote, and then it says contains less than 0.5% alcohol by volume. So I guess that that's the, the minor <laughs> hurdle they need to make. Is well, just it's the same thing with non-alcoholic beer. You technically need yeah. an ID to buy because it has like a trace or something like that of it. Are they reducing the alcohol to that level so it's sellable? Because you're a, a regional bootlegger, right, of kombucha. People who are into the space and are just trying to make it naturally or how it was meant to be consumed, like what is that alcohol level or is there not an answer to that? It varies. I would say when I've had the commercially bought stuff and I'm drinking it at 0.5% alcohol, uh, it tastes kind of what, what I think it should taste like. In fact, if you start to go above it, it, it does start to taste and smell more alcoholic, but in a kind of vinegary or rubbing alcohol type of sense, not in a kind of, hey, this is a, a really nice but heavy concentrated alcoholic beer. So it becomes very apparent very quickly the level of alcohol that's in it. The reason why I think the commercial companies are, are kind of aiming for that 0.5% is because the people that are out there shopping for kombucha are not looking to get drunk. There is a suite of health benefits uh, related to drinking kombucha, and ultimately they are marketing towards the people that either like the taste or the texture of the bubbles, or they just kind of drink it for health reasons. As soon as you kind of say, hey, you know, this is a really healthy drink, but you know what, it's also got alcohol in it. It kind of confuses people. It's mixed messaging. Hey, come, come feel a little buzzed or hey, do something good for your body. So I think the reason they, they keep it low is it doesn't really taste all that boozy and they can market it pretty much to everyone. You don't need an ID to buy it. And then you can kind of sell all the colorful flavors to kids that all the other alcohol and cigarette companies are illegally not able to do. But you're saying that if, if you did really, you know, want to booze it up a little bit, I mean, it would only get to like 2% or something without some kind of intervention or like some kind of uh, additive. I mean, I think that when I, when I've personally, when I've left it uh, to brew and maybe sometimes even forgot about it, it might be going for up to six weeks. I, I will sip it and, you know, you could put it down, but it, um, it doesn't sit like very well. Like corked wine or something? Just it's like not enjoyable? It's, it's not enjoyable from, from what I have found. I mean, there's been times when I've, I've waited way too long to kind of uh, bottle it and drink it. And I, I will, I was like, oh, I'll sip it, but it's, it's kind of like sipping vinegar. 
And then I feel my stomach kind of do like a weird a bit of a turn. I'm not sure exactly why that is. It could just be that there's also perhaps a lot more other probiotic bacteria in there that your stomach isn't used to. But generally I find it, it kind of gets very unflavorable very quickly, the more alcoholic that it, it ultimately but, gets. So and you're think, saying it just doesn't do well with more alcohol. It's not so much that you couldn't get there. It's just like the taste is bad. Because at least not naturally. I'm coming at it from the perspective of, tea, right? Wellness drink. You've got a whole slew of people now drinking hard seltzer, drinking different light beers and things like that, that are aimed a little bit towards wellness, like a Michelob Ultra, right? You'd think that it would be appealing if somebody could get, you know, fermented tea, right? Kombucha, where it's like actually a drink with wellness that has a little bit of booze in it. And it was all natural that would appeal to people. But it sounds like the, how that would taste to get you to any level of alcohol, you know, say if somebody wanted to have something light at happy hour, like it just would not be good. It would just not be good tasting unless you did something else to it. I would say, I mean, from my experience, yeah. If you're home brewing it yourself, um, it gets pretty, pretty gnarly, pretty quick. Uh, I would imagine the commercial companies, you know, may have other mechanisms. I mean, if you think about the things that they can do to put an incredibly uh, incredible amounts of alcohol in a beer or, you know, a kind of hard cider, um, those can get pretty alcoholic and yet they find ways to mask the taste with other things. So you don't necessarily notice it's as alcoholic. I think with kombucha, there's less flavors, there's less you can do with it to once mask the taste of the, just the pure alcohol that you're drinking. Mm -hmm. Steve, by the way, I want to give you a quick shout out or at least a public acknowledgement that many years ago, I actually had a, a sample of your personal, you know, bootlegger kombucha. And it, it was the best kombucha I've ever had. I tell people about it all the time. I'm like, Steve, that guy makes real good homemade kombucha. And I have since then tried various store-bought varieties. And none of them have the same magic to them. And I think you, I remember you telling me it's because like the store-bought ones, like put more carbonation in them or something, but like yours was just, you know, completely naturally carbonated. And I just remember it being the most uh, kind of enjoyable evening beverage uh, I've had in a long time. Well, yeah, thank you, Sam. And you, you remember correctly. Um, I mean, there's two types of carbonations that you can really use to give kombucha or any drink really effervescence. Um, you can let the natural bacterias and, and the yeast um, ferment further. And so with kombucha, there's like two stages. The one, the main stage, you kind of put that, that hockey puck disc of bacteria in it. And that basically creates the kombucha. Uh, you can then in the second step, add a bunch of flavors to it, but you also bottle it. You make it airtight, you make it anaerobic. And then ultimately that is what produces the pressure. So there's natural, there's natural gases being released as part of it and they can't escape because they're in a bottle. That process takes three days. Commercially, they're like, we're not gonna wait three days to do it. We're not gonna make this gigantic drum of liquid airtight. So they just pump CO2 directly into the liquid and then they, they bottle it from there. So it is a very different uh, type of kind of bubbly feeling. And so if, any, if anyone out there has never actually had like naturally carbonated uh, drinks, they're definitely different from the ones you would buy at a store. And many people often think they taste better. They're not quite as in your oh, face. Yeah. No, you it, it blew bubbles. my mind. Yeah. I'm I still sure think of much like that key lime pie many years ago. I often still think about that kombucha as well. And just the smoothness every oh. day, right? Every day you can just give yourself a nice tall glass of kombucha. That's, it's, that's uh it's gotta feel good. It's uh, it's tasty too. And 
uh, you can, you've seen all the flavors, you know, if you've ever gone to grocery store and Whole Foods, there's like a wall of like 30 different flavors. You can experiment, you can do kind of whatever, whatever, whatever really works. And you can kind of find the flavors that you like. You could even make a watermelon flavor. And in fact, it's Ooh. actually quite easy to make a watermelon flavored kombucha. The more, the more that fruit kind of turns into a juice, the more it kind of pervades and the bacteria can access that sugar and you get a, a stronger taste to it. Josh, are we getting through to you over there? Are you kind of getting interested in the hopping well, over to the all natural kombucha world here? You, in one sentence, you said, uh, if you're like brewing it, it kind of sucks if you like ferment it too much. But so I was thinking, oh, like beer companies, they throw all sorts of stuff in with the brewing process and that's how they sort of like change it. But you're saying you could throw in fruit, other things and whatnot, and that would potentially help you know, improve the taste profile of it. Thank you for asking. So I can, I can clarify there's, there's two main stages of the fermentation. The first one is actually when you've got that, those like active bacteria and yeast eating the sugar and ultimately converting it into to alcohol in the drink that you know. The second stage of it, that bacteria gets removed and it is purely about adding flavor and adding carbonation to it. So at that point, there is still some of the bacteria in, in the liquid, but the activity is far, far lower. So that, that's kind of why. So you can actually play around with how long the first stage goes, which kind of determines how boozy it is or how sweet or tart it tastes. And the second stage is like, how much of a strong watermelon flavor or orange flavor do I want? And how many bubbles do I kind of want? Do I want to steal or do I want to really kind of effervescent drink when I'm drinking it? So I do want to ask you, because I've seen a lot of brands out there. I've had some different kombuchas. So I'm going to read off a series of brands. And as you know, we're not just in the energy drink podcast business, but we are in the enemy making business. So I would like you to tell me which one of these is the worst kombucha and why. Sure. All right. Health Aid, GT's Organic and Raw, Brew Doctor, which I think is what That's what I'm drinking. That's the one I'm having. Hum with an extra M, Wild Tonic, Kavita, Revive, Better Booch, Suja, Bears, and Rowdy Mermaid. Sure thing. I actually, I actually picked two out of that, which um, are probably not my favorites. The first one is uh, Kavita. Kavita was, I believe it's owned by PepsiCo. And what I find is the, the kombucha flavor is, it's weird, it's different. It doesn't quite taste what I think kombucha should taste like. I think, I think they're cutting corners somehow with it. And a lot of the flavors are, are quite funky, almost to the point where they're trying to hide something. So I've never been wow. too big of a fan of Kavita. That's more from a taste standpoint. I think health Well, and you said that they're hiding stuff. Is, there's know. a lot more going on under the surface there. Yeah. I, and I don't honestly, know. if you're listening, Kavita, <laughs> if you want to come on and defend yourselves, we'll have you on to tell your side of the story. What but... are you hiding? Who are you trying <laughs> yeah, to What protect? are you hiding? <laughs> Who are you working for? The reason for? is because they seem to really be going for the kind of fitness buff uh, audience. They charge, I think, like five bucks for the same thing that everyone else charges on average three, three and a half, maybe four bucks for. So I always see it at gyms. I always see it kind of next to the protein powder or energy drinks. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I do think there are benefits to, to kombucha. There's not a, a ton of studies on exactly all the kind of quantifiable benefits. There, there are some things that, that, I, that are, are kind of known but the way they market is this kind of like healing drink, like, oh, you know, your life will be better. You'll be renewed. You'll be energized. It'd be all these things. And just give us $5 and, and buy the kind of, you know, fun shaped bottle. And I, I look at that, I think that's not really what kombucha is about. 
it's not about trying to, you know, fake that it's this like, you know, miracle drink uh, that is going to solve all your problems in life. Um, it's just a drink that's, it's fun to drink. And there are some kind of benefits to it that are a little bit more subtle. You do get a little bit of caffeine, but uh, yeah, I, I could say I don't really like the marketing strategy uh, of, of health aid. Wow. That's a famously marketed brand too. I mean, that's looked at as like, uh, I know that's a uh... Cavu Ventures, that's their like one of their portfolio bright spots. Um, I did actually want to ask you about that though, because I've listened to the founder of Health Aid on a podcast before. Their big thing is they do small batch kombucha, which is apparently horribly expensive to do. So I'm curious if you think that means anything. So they they emphasize that they brew in these two and a half gallon jars. Seems horribly inefficient, but I'm curious <laughs> if you think that. Is that, is that just a marketing gimmick or is, are you thinking there, they got something there? I would think that it allows them to be a little bit more careful with the ingredients that they use and, and ultimately how they measure it. If they've got a big vat um, or if any, any kind of kombucha maker has just a big, big open tank full with all these bacteria and all this liquid in it, you might find some variation across it in terms of alcohol content. And then when you go to flavor it or, or carbonize it, you might find some variation as well. So I think it allows them to provide more perhaps consistency with the taste and the, the, the profile that they're ultimately going after. The other one I'm not, I'm not too big of a fan of is, uh, is health aid. I think it's a little bit old school. I mean, from everything that I've learned these days, they've gotten so good about, even at, at the mass production level, about getting to those ingredients uh, to match what's on the bottle. And that's kind of really where the past 10 years have gone. So these days, I really don't, I wouldn't think it's, it's going to really be that much of a difference, but you know what, maybe 20, 20, 25 years ago, when the process to do it at mass scale, wasn't as advanced as it is now, them being able to, you know, measure and monitor in smaller batches before deciding, is it good enough to go out? I could see that being a real, a real good advantage for them and a really good quality control mechanism. These days, though, I, I think it, I don't want to say they've lost that advantage, but I think the, the mass producers have caught up to that. So I, I get the marketing standpoint of it, but I wouldn't drink that brand just for that kind of purpose, because I, I trust the other brands ultimately that, that I drink. You want to give a shout out to one of your preferred brands? Uh, I definitely encourage folks to go and try different brands to see which one ultimately that you like. Personally, I like GT's. From what I understand, GT is this successful business guy who just started off as a hippie that was like, Hey, I'm brewing, brewing kombucha. One thing that I do, I do kind of like, um, not many do it, but there's a few, I, th I found four flavors that they actually, in, they put chia seeds inside. So as a home brewer, you can also put chia seeds in and they kind of get this kind of gooey texture to it. It's kind of fun to drink, but I have not found that, that many have been able to mass produce a, a bottle of kombucha filled almost to the brim of, of chia seeds. So so sometimes it is nice to get a little texture as you're drinking. It kind of introduces a slightly more earthy taste to it. So I, I like that they experiment. I like that they're trying a bunch of different things. And I like that they're, the whole idea behind it is, hey, you know, I just started off making this myself. Uh, I wanted you to try it. And, you know, he's successful. And he is still out there making new flavors and trying to figure out what's working and what's not working. Fascinating. I just feel like I've, I've learned so much. I thought I knew... Actually, I didn't really think I knew anything about kombucha, but now I feel like I know more than I previously did before this conversation. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. So um, I guess the one thing I like, as we're thinking about this in the sphere of energy, you kind of alluded to it, but what do you feel like is the killer 
use case for kombucha, right? Like what sort of scenario, like timing? You got a big task that you need to do and, I, and I'm already tired. I probably wouldn't reach for, for kombucha. It's just not going to be that kind of rush of energy ultimately that, that I'm going to need. So I'm not sure if you guys dig, you know, or want to kind of dig too much into the, the health of it, but there's a lot of benefits from introducing that healthy bacteria into your stomach. And if your stomach is better at getting um, nutrients out of the food that you eat, and it's better about getting rid of the things that ultimately cause your stomach to hurt less, you're gonna be spending less energy digesting food and you're gonna have more energy by better extracting the nutrients that are in the energy ultimately that, that you're eating. So if, if you can use kombucha and things like yogurts or, or kimchi or fermented foods to change the chemistry of your stomach um, or rather your, your digestive system, of which it's mainly in your stomach and large intestine that this bacteria ultimately has benefits, you will notice over a long period of time, like you may have more energy ultimately than, than you, you might've had earlier. You may have to eat a little bit less to get the same amount of energy. So Interesting. It, it's really Efficiency more, uh, gains. yeah, it's really more of a kind okay. of, Hey, do I care about my kind of stomach and all the kind of, they call it the gut flora, all the stuff that lives inside of me. Do I care about that? And if you can use kombucha as a way to, you know, institute healthier bacteria, which make you feel better in the long term, then I do think it's a kind of long-term energy play uh, if you wanted to drink it. But what they do say, there's a lot of warnings on kombucha if you're homebrewing it. And, and a lot of it is if you just kind of don't follow instructions and you don't really clean the, the materials, if you kind of don't pay attention to it, if mold starts to grow or it just kind of starts to grow in an abnormal way it can actually produce bad bacteria too. Like that, that kind of combination of yeast and bacteria goes, goes south. And so you may, you may be aware of, um, you know, stories of people have, having to go to the hospital because they put some bacteria that was in kombucha into their stomach and it just did not play well with whatever was in there. So you do need to be a little bit careful, but, but I can definitely say that, you know, it's really about balance um, and your gut flora, and even in kombucha, in, the, in that, that bacteria and yeast hockey puck, it's all about the nice balance between the bacteria um, to make sure that it plays in a way that doesn't make humans sick. I'm glad you brought up the, the, the risk as well, because I think up until this point, it was just nothing but uh, you know, inspiration and like, hey, try it out. But it's good to, good to make sure we, we understand that there's, yeah. there's some risk involved too. Great yeah. power, great responsibility, right? That's what it yeah, comes you got, down you to. Got, you got to follow the label. You got to listen to your local bootleggers. Yeah. They tell you, hey, this is how you do it. You you follow follow their advice. Yeah, and I think that my takeaway is don't try to eat things in the hopes of brewing kombucha in your stomach. <laughs> it seems very unlikely and maybe dangerous. So for our listeners, don't you just buy it at the store, brew it outside of your stomach if you can. Yeah, you All wouldn't right. enjoy the taste anyway if it was brewed in your stomach. Much like that key lime pie many years ago. Yeah, let your let your body be the judge. What was the M Night Shyamalan twist? Enough lime to cure scurvy, though. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs>